movies by minutes. Project number five. It's Silverado this time. That's no job. By Lawrence Haston, who wrote the show. Let's settle up now, kids. Cause here we go. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Silverado Minute Podcast, where each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1985 Lawrence Kasdan-directed Western Silverado one minute of screen time with each episode. I'm your host, I'm Alan Sanders, one of two of co-hosts of the Wilder Ride Podcast, and we got the task of being the caboose at the end of this long train and we are rapidly running out of film time and the movie itself, which means the podcast is slowly coming to an end. Walt Murray, who makes up the other part of the Wilder Ride team, not able to make it. We're still going to try. We're going to push it. We're going to try to get him on tomorrow. Hopefully, he will be able to join us, and we'll spend some time with him giving uh, his recollections of the film and some of the stuff that we've already talked about as well. Let's get on to minute number one. 29. We continue the goodbyes, and which we have the character of Emmett walking finally away from Hannah. Emmett, of course, played by Scott Glenn, Hannah played by Rosanna Arquette. And if you remember yesterday, we talked about the disappearing act of both Jake and Phoebe completely missing from this goodbye, from the exchange between Phoebe and Emmett to then Emmett walking over toward Payton. That's where we ended yesterday. We continue with him walking sort of away from her toward Emmett. And she, it's a, it's a strange thing. It goes back to what I was asking yesterday about this relationship. When did this triangle form? And is it a real triangle? And it it does feel like as good of a writer as Lawrence Kasdan is and a script polisher, storyteller, and as well as he's directed this, this subplot still feels like the weak link in the entirety of the film. Because as Emmett goes to pass her, her eyes are on him. And then all of a sudden you get she's cutting her eyes over to Payton. And so from this reverse shot then, this cut from behind Emmett, you see Payton and Emmett coming to basically face-to-face with one another, and Hannah is looking on. I'd like to point out that behind Payton, well in the back of the other side of the boardwalk, are a handful of extras just filling the scene. No specific secondary or main characters that we know anywhere else besides these three. Keep that in mind, because once again, we're going to find actors who are teleporting magically into frame... (laughs) who have teleported away from frame just a moment ago. At exactly second three of this minute, as Emmett is walking up to Payton and getting ready to extend his right hand for a handshake, we get the grasp at second four, and then the camera gives us the reverse, where we now have the camera on the flip side of them looking back the other way. It's a 180-degree shot. And magically, out of nowhere, Phoebe's back. She's filling the right side of the frame, just outside of the saloon doors, while Peyton and Emmett are making that handshake happen. And now we see Hannah seems transfixed on Peyton. I don't know what happened in the direction of this last goodbye, why Jake and Phoebe just magically disappeared. And now suddenly there's Phoebe 
She was behind them on the other post. Now she's on this side of frame, having never walked over here, having ne no explanation whatsoever. But Phoebe is not paying attention to these other three characters. She's off looking camera left somewhere up the street. Honestly, she's looking to where, if you look at where the placement of the geography, where JT, Augie, and Kate must be sitting on their wagon waiting for Jake and for Emmett. We get the remaining handshake and the goodbye, and Emmett then turns around and heads off in the direction that Phoebe was just looking. Hannah has returned her gaze to the back of Emmett's back, and same with Peyton. And as Emmett walks off frame... You have both actors, uh, Rosanna Arquette and Kevin Klein, circling around Amanda Weiss to kind of put her in the middle. Peyton on the far right of screen as you're looking at it, and Hannah on the left with Amanda Weiss or Phoebe in the middle. Phoebe does a moment of look over at Kevin Klein, look over at uh, Rosanna Arquette, and then sort of almost knowingly she's a secondary character, takes a half step back. We then cut to almost their POV. It's set up almost as if that's where they're looking, and we see Jake has now returned. And in the space of Hannah saying, weren't you going to come out to say goodbye? I already did that. You know where I'll be? Yep. And then walk over two steps to say, so long, Payton. Jake has gotten their horses and is patiently sitting on top of his watching Emmett get on his horse. I don't know if there's a shot missing or something in story. The script seems to indicate this is how it's supposed to play out, that there wasn't any additional scene. It's just a directorial issue. It's a continuity issue. Two characters disappear from the background. There's no transition to where they went off to. Nothing showing why they suddenly return back into the scene. And now Jake is on top of his horse, sitting there as if he's been there for like five minutes waiting. He watches as Emmett gets up on his horse. And then as he gets his reins in hand, Kevin Costner or Jake turns his face around to look sort of, it's not entirely POV, but it's from the perspective from Hannah and Peyton on the boardwalk. And Jake then turns his head back over toward where they're obviously standing and says, So long, Peyton. So long, Jake. Then we get Peyton echoing back. The camera shifts around to show Hannah and Peyton together. I don't know where Phoebe went. Phoebe was between them with a little bit of a gap, and now suddenly they're framing this as a couple between Kevin Klein and Rosanna Arquette. And he just echoes the line back, so long, Jake. The camera switches back around to show Jake now basically moving out of frame, Emmett bringing his horse around. And you can tell he, once again, based on framing, is looking down from his horse toward Peyton and Hannah. And we just saw a second ago, we've reestablished that we don't know where Phoebe went, but the two of them are now framed literally as a couple. Scott Glenn, in a great moment here, not snarky in the way of negativity, but with just a little bit of that wink and a nod of sarcasm or a wink and the nod toward, eh, I know what you've been up to, but instead of saying, you got the girl, or you know what? I'm not arguing over the girl. You and she, go for it, have fun. But he doesn't say anything necessarily negative. He simply looks at him and goes, Yeah, you might make a farmer, yeah. Knowing that that's what she wants, and that if he wants to be with her, she's made it very clear that that's 
her life. That's what she came out here for. That's what she's planning to do. Even though she just lost her husband just a few days ago, she's going to go out there and she's going to farm the land and has another admirer. Probably wanted Emmett. I, again, I don't understand the the dynamic that was put before us. But she seems okay now suddenly being next to Peyton. I don't know. Is this a good thing for Peyton? Is he second best? Is this a situation where he's the right person for her, but Emmett's the more exciting person? And so there's still that moment of like, oh, look at this gruff and tough uh, cowboy who seems confident in every situation, doesn't seem flappable in any way. Of course, not that Peyton is in any way uh, a slouch. He's obviously shown himself capable as not only being a good person and doing what's right for the town, but he's a pretty quick draw himself. But there's just something about the way Scott Glenn carries himself. Is it is that what we're supposed to get? That she's torn between these different motifs of the West. There's the the, the cowboy who is constantly on the range, moving free from place to place. She wants to be in a farm. She wants her land. She wants that sense of, this is mine, my identity. But there's something about wanting to know I've got the freedom to go wherever I want, and is that the attraction to him? Whereas Peyton obviously had that free-roaming cowboy image or lifestyle, and maybe on the criminal side, obviously being hooked up with Cobb earlier in the story. We don't know exactly how long they've been apart. We don't know how bad Peyton may have acted when he was with Cobb. But what we do know is Peyton is on a different path. And that path led him to Silverado. It led him to her, and it led him to think, maybe I've got a chance at what we would now consider a normal life. Settling down, finding a partner, finding someone I can be with and moving forward for the rest of our lives as a couple, not solo. And maybe that's what we're doing here. Maybe that's what Lawrence Kasdan, in in maybe a clunky way, is showing us the dynamics that still exist to this day. The dynamics that Shakespeare was so good at exploiting in his plays, which is why we continue to do his works today. Because Shakespeare wrote about humanity, about our emotions and our connections, and about how anger leads to bad decisions, and love makes us do things that maybe we wouldn't normally do. And it's it's the interactions of real people. And so maybe we've got Lawrence Kasdan trying to explore those different pressures and dynamics that existed in the West. The free-range cowboy who, not encumbered by any one thing, can go wherever he wants. The farmer, the person who wants the land, the person who wants to become part of something or grow something literally as well as figuratively from something that they didn't have before. And then you've got Peyton, who's had a foot in each of these worlds, or at least maybe more in that cowboy world, but is seeing that there is another way to live. And maybe that's the attraction, not just physical. Maybe there is that other part of Peyton that wants to know what it's like to not be always on the go, to not be worried about who's sneaking up behind you, to not worry about whether or not you're going to get caught at whatever you're doing or taking advantage of people. Peyton has been on a journey through this entire movie. A part of it happened before we ever even met him in the opening minutes of this film. So I think what we have here, at least the way I'm going to look at it, is three different things happening simultaneously. And even though it's clunky in terms of these three characters, in terms of the West, 
I find it an interesting thing to consider looking at the dynamics of the cowboy, the farmer, and then the townsperson or the person that might be more settled, but not necessarily the farmer. And so you've got Payton, who's dressed to work in the saloon. We know that he and Stella have had a great relationship. We're assuming, at least at this point, that he's probably going to still work either with her or for her. We don't know anything different at this very second when they are saying goodbye. And that's when we get one more, I don't want to call it a twist, but we do get one more shift in the narrative as the movie is winding down. Because just on the heels of Emmett saying, you might make a farmer yet, Kevin Klein, almost now with a twinkle in his eye, the same, ironically, the same kind of twinkle that I think Brian Dennehy conveys with his character, and just the hint of a smile as if, I've been so waiting to tell you this. I, 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 it's, it's like, I can't wait. And finally, the opportunity is here. I have got something I have to tell you before you leave. And he says, I got a job. And as he says that, the camera begins to not only angle down toward Payton's chest, but starts to push in. And at the exact same time, Kevin Klein, you can tell, you can't see it on screen, but you get to see it by the motion of his shoulders has put his hands on the edges of the inside of his coat and is pulling them apart almost in a Superman kind of way where you're pulling the shirt apart and you see the S. And in this case, there is an S. But instead of it just being a single S, it's a badge. And it pushes in the camera focusing on Sheriff Silverado pinned on the left side of the vest of Payton's outfit to show that we now have a hero in the position of law enforcement. We hear a heroic sounding horn and it's a cue, it's an audible cue. We've got a good guy now as sheriff. We immediately cut back to a reverse again. We see that Emmett is kind of scrutinizing the badge, looking at it. He's he's almost got pursed lips at first as if like, huh, really? But then he laughs, he then, He's like, okay, you know what? That makes sense. That's, you know what? Maybe I didn't see that coming, but maybe I should have. Here's the amazing thing. When we started off the goodbyes a couple of days ago when we were breaking down the last couple of minutes of the film, all four of our principal characters were all in the bar. Stella with them in the bar pouring the drinks. They all have a toast to California. At this point... Peyton is already the sheriff. We don't cut away to something else. Peyton is the sheriff, and no one in the bar, none of his friends are aware of this. He hasn't told anyone, which makes me a little questioning them from a storytelling device. When did that happen? Did he just automatically inherit sheriff because he shot Cobb? Did the townsfolk have an election? Did somebody wire the governor? Did somebody wire the magistrate? How did Payton get put in the position of sheriff? Because in the Old West, if this is a territory, you'd still have a process to follow, whether it was a town council, whether it was a local magistrate judge, or whether it fell under a different jurisdiction. I don't know that you just get to be sheriff because you killed the last one. That'd be a really weird job to be in where you know that you've got the job until somebody kills you and then they become sheriff. Well, what if they kill you and they don't want to be sheriff? Then what do you do? It is a little strange. I get it. It's our Hollywood ending. It feels satisfying. 
we know there's something missing here. How did they not know? How did Emmett, who developed that relationship, the first two people we see come together of the of all these characters is Emmett and Payton. How did he not know? Because his reaction is very much first of surprise, then the sort of oh, knowing laugh, of course. How did I not see this coming? It's it, it, I'm not complaining. I am saying, though, when you slow a movie down and you start to think about it, you realize, okay, some things we're just glossing over. We're just instantaneously promoting the guy to sheriff. Everybody behind him, everybody in the town seems to be okay with Payton taking on the role. But once again, how many days has passed? One, two, three? Has it been weeks? Has it been months? I don't know. But if it's been longer... It makes less sense that nobody knew. If it was shorter, it makes less sense that they could have promoted him. So it's a little thing to think about, maybe something to chat about. Maybe somebody out there has an explanation that I'm missing. Maybe somebody who knows the history of some of the territories of the Old West a little bit more and knows how that happens. Maybe all it took is the mayor of the town or some other town leader, which we never met, by the way, who said, you know what, we've convened the council and we'd like to offer you the job. And maybe it's just a, a work for hire. I, I, it just feels a little strange that there wasn't more information shared among these four people, especially between Payton and Emmett. Ironically, it doesn't stop the movie. And in fact, it's only when we're slowing it down that you can question these things. But we do get a real, genuine knowing laugh from Emmett as if, how did I not see this coming? As he turns his horse around and begins to move toward his family, JT, Augie, and Kate. We see that Jake is on the other side of the wagon with the three, and he's going to take the near side as if uh, two escorts for their family as they're getting ready to leave town. We do hear Emmett then, as he gets in position, say, Let's get going. And then Augie, reins still in hand, and you hear the telltale... Just a little click-click of the tongue against the top of the mouth to get the horses to realize it's time for us to go. As they begin to move camera right, we do a reverse again, and this time we're faced up on just Payton by himself, and his head slowly follows them, so we see it tracking as they are leaving town. We never see them fully leave the streets. What we do before the very end of the minute here, at about second 54, we are now out in the middle of nowhere, outside of the town of Silverado. We've got the family still in their wagon. We still have Augie driving. We have Kate sitting next to him there, and his dad, JT, in the back. Jake is just on the other side of the wagon still. And uh, facing them, having shifted his horse around to point directly to him rather than riding parallel with them, is Emmett. And we realize it's because Emmett is about to give Augie some big brotherly or uncle advice. You see him leaning forward, one hand clasping the rein, but both crossed on top of the horn of the saddle. And he leans his head just a little forward, almost for emphasis, and says, Take care of your folks. And Augie responds, I will. You see JT, his dad in the back, recognizing everything they've been through and thankful that they're all still alive, although still arm in a sling, his wife still recovering from her injury raises his hand with a finger as if to say, I owe you. Thank you. And you see Emmett grabbing his reins as if to try to pull the horse around because he and Jake are about to head in a different direction. But that is where the minute ends. 
a lot to think about with these uh, these goodbyes. And we still have a few more seconds of film before we get into the credits. And so I'm hoping we'll have Walt at least joining me for the last minute so the two of us can maybe chat about some of the things that I've thought about this past week and brought to you. Once again, and I'm going to give you the social media locations and the website and email address. Would love to hear from anybody after listening, going back, watching it, if you can explain the way sheriffs in some of these smaller towns, how they are suddenly elected or how they're put into their positions. And how is it that Emmett didn't know? And can anybody explain the teleporting, disappearing, reappearing act that Jake and Phoebe conduct from last minute to this minute? It's one of the few continuity errors that I noticed in the minutes that I have. Every movie's got them. Every movie has something, and one of the beauties of slowing a movie down, for me anyway, one minute at a time, is the fun at being able to find those things. It doesn't ruin the movie. It doesn't show you have a bad filmmaker or a bad movie. In fact, having been involved with films myself, sometimes when you get in the cutting room, you see the error, but of all the other takes you have, it's still the best performance. And you say to yourself, you know what? These little tiny errors, most people don't even see them, and it won't ruin the movie or ruin the scene as long as people are invested in what's happening moment to moment and they are caught up in the characters. These little side distractions won't add up. I'd rather use a better take, a better performance, a better overall shot, even if there's a continuity error, something that doesn't match up from a previous cut. I want to remind you that you can find the Silverado podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or visit the website, SilveradoMinute.com. And if you want to get involved in more discussion, there's actually a group that was created on Facebook called The Midnight Star, the Silverado Minute Listener's Saloon. You can also find them on Twitter, SilveradoMXM. Either of those social media locations, or if you want to send an email to Jim at SilveradoMinute.com. I'm sure we'll get that out there and would love to uh, engage with any of you based on what we've discussed, what we've seen, your thoughts, your feelings. Did we inspire you to go rewatch the movie? Is there something that we said that you disagree with? Or is there something that was mentioned that you go, oh my God, I never noticed that before. If you want to engage, we'd love to hear from you. For me, our show is The Wilder Ride. You can find us on any of the podcatchers out there by just Googling The Wilder Ride Podcast. It'll take you to all of them out there, whichever one you use. You can go to thewilderride.com for our website. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, also under The Wilder Ride. Until tomorrow, Friday, when we wrap this up, do we head out into the sunset? Is that one more trope that we have, or do we do something different? Let's stick together and be back tomorrow on the trail as we look at the final minute of the movie Silverado right here on the Silverado Minute. Silverado Minute.